Um, we have a lot going on, but this morning we continue our study through Paul's letter to the Colossians. This is uh, the second part of this um, of three parts that we're going to in which we're going to cover the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians. The title of this morning's message is Jesus Held Nothing Back. Jesus Held Nothing Back. So let's begin by reading in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, which says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven." making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which... I, Paul, became a minister. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for holding nothing back. Lord, the love that you demonstrated to us is perfect, and uh, through it we know reconciliation, restoration. Lord, we have been redeemed by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's amazing to think that you would be mindful of man in such a way of which you demonstrated on Calvary. And so, Lord, I pray as we continue our study through this letter that our response to you and to the love that you've demonstrated would be a life that is completely devoted and committed to you, a life that desires to bring you honor and glory, that we would do so with full knowledge of how it is that we can and must do that, Lord, as it is a proper response to the love that you first demonstrated to us. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands. We ask your blessing. May you open our ears to hear what you would have us to hear. Our hearts open to obey as we come to know what you have for your church to not only hear but do. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week's message concluded with the thought of being thankful toward God. For qualifying you to have part in the inheritance of all the saints. That is, the saints are defined as all of those who have been saved by faith or by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Those who have been delivered from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. In fact, in the last couple verses here, beginning in verse 12, it says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's in Christ that we have been redeemed and no longer have a legal obligation to pay for our sins. They've been paid for in full by Jesus Christ. There's nothing partial about it. It's been paid for in full by Jesus Christ on Calvary through the shedding of His blood. And because of His finished work of Jesus, on our behalf, our sin no longer separates us from the Father. There's no longer an issue to be dealt with. It's no longer a barrier. It's nothing that we ought to concern ourselves with or be overwhelmed by or be overcome by once we place our trust in Jesus Christ. For we are truly saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by our own works. Otherwise, we would be able to, to boast. We would be able to brag about such a relationship with the Father, but we can't because it has nothing to do with us. We simply accepted the gift that had been offered to us through Jesus Christ. Now, Paul clearly identifies Jesus as fully God and fully man. There is this um, uh, theological term, this word that is used for, this, um, for, for what this uh, includes, and that is that God is fully man, and, and I mean Jesus is fully man, and he's fully God. And that is a hypostatic union. In here, in what we just read, Paul very succinctly and very clearly lays out the fact and the truth that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. He is the one whom John the Baptist, the one crying out in the wilderness, as he saw Jesus pointed to Jesus and said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the uh, unblemished Lamb. He is also the creator of the universe. You see, in those days, just as in these days, there were people who would like to argue that Jesus was no more than a man, a carpenter, uh, perhaps a teacher, a rabbi, a religious man, but he was not God. The same thing that's going on today in and certain false teachers will bring this about, it is what's going on today happened at that point too. And Paul addresses this in this letter. This is the very thing that as Christians we shouldn't be confused about. Paul wanted to make it abundantly clear, and he did so in a very concise way, that in no way, shape, or form is there to be any misunderstanding that Jesus of Nazareth is God, and through him comes reconciliation by the blood of his cross. And once this question is answered for us and we stand on solid ground in our belief that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and that he fully reconciled us to the Father, then we are to think about what he has delivered us from and what he has delivered us to. And then ask ourselves, how solid is our faith? And how is it demonstrated in our lives? Those are all things that I believe are, are just basic uh, to the Christian foundation, the, the Christian life. 
Those are all questions that we ought to be asking ourselves on a regular basis. Now, what we'll see here is that Jesus held absolutely nothing back in his demonstration of love toward us. He held nothing back in demonstrating, demonstrating his love toward you. Jesus gave himself up completely on Calvary for you. Just as what was uh, said earlier, we, we ought to take that to heart. You know, sometimes we think of Jesus Christ as, yes, he is this, um, this man, the God-man that died a little over 2,000 years ago on Calvary for the sins of the world. And yet sometimes we don't think about that personally. What if in that very moment, God would bring you back to that, that moment, that, that time on Calvary, and you would see Jesus being crucified? And he said one more thing. He said, it is for you. Because in a very real way, he did do it just for you. He had you in mind when he went to the cross. He knew you before the foundations of the world. He desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His shed blood was sufficient for the salvation of all mankind, and yet he simply offers it to you. He doesn't force it upon you. So when you hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the offer of salvation we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. In other, in other words, there has to be the exercise of faith in the offering of grace for it to be together combined in such a way that you know personally the fullness of salvation. But he had you in mind. He had you in mind. May your hope of the gospel never shift. And may you declare with all assurance that Jesus saves and he is your savior. Reflected both in declaration and in manner of life. For that is what goes hand in hand. So let's take a look at the first portion in verses 15 through 20. Jesus is fully God and the, most of our time will be spent in these verses here. So verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now there's absolutely no question that Paul wanted to communicate to the Christians in Colossae. That Jesus was fully God. There's no question about it. This leaves no doubt within these few verses that he wrote here at the very beginning of this segment of his letter to the Colossians. That this is exactly what he was communicating. That Jesus was fully God. And so let's see what is declared here. First of all, first of all in verse 15, he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. Uh, the Greek word for image is icon, where we get our word icon. <laughs> Greek, it's E-I-K-O-N, not I-C-O-N, but the word is the same, and that's where it comes from. Now, I want to make it clear, just as the Apostle Paul as he was writing this letter to the Colossians, they knew exactly what he was referring to and what this word meant. And, and so that's why as we go through our study of Scripture, we need to understand what this word means. Is it just 
an image? It's a, it, is it just a reflection of? Well, it's much more than just that. It's not just an image that we see uh, on, on a coin or on paper, something that someone drew in the likeness of. It's much more than that. Because this word not only means that Jesus is the likeness of God, but also the literal manifestation of God. God the Father revealed Himself in the Son. And and there was no question about it. Again, those to whom this letter was written knew exactly what He meant when He wrote this word. In fact, Jesus himself declared that the fullness of God dwelt in him. In John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, uh, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. You know, it's it's the same statement that people make today. Oh, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Well, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long (laughs) and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Philip, he he didn't get it. It, He hadn't processed just yet. And and Jesus was making, is is there any doubt about what he meant by the words that he spoke to Philip? The answer for us should be a resounding no. It's just perfectly clear, right? I've been with you for so long, and do you not understand these things yet? Well, Philip, I think, is just as thick-skulled as we are. Right? Or at least me. I'm sorry. I don't want to insult you. Me. I, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. And so I need this to be explained to me. I, I need to perhaps ask a one, more, one more time. Show us who you are. Well, I've shown you who I am. Through my son, Jesus Christ. No, I think that's, uh, that Philip is a reflection of many people today. Oh, we want to know a little bit more. Well... It's all been shown to you through Jesus Christ. Additionally, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Oh, what beautiful words. There is absolutely no doubt what Paul knew, what he believed, and what he was communicating, not only to the Philippians, but here to the Colossians. That hypostatic union. You see, Jesus has always been God, for he is eternal. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What happened, though, on that one day in Bethlehem, is that deity took on humanity, and that was added. Uh, it wasn't that uh, Jesus added, uh, the human added God. No, 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 it was, it was God was now in human form. It, to be honest with you, it's beyond what we can even comprehend. And yet... That is clearly declared through Scripture. Clearly. God was fully revealed in Jesus. He is not just a reflection of God, but He was and is God. 
he will forever be the God-man. And, and it's, again, beyond our comprehension, but one day we will know, just as we are known, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. All things will be made clear. There will be no question about these things, these matters that we, that we attend ourselves to, that we give ourselves to, and, and make every attempt to try to understand fully. We only know in part. And yet even that part is truly wonderful and amazing. Paul did not use terminology that would allow us to think that Jesus was only similar to God. But that Jesus was the manifestation of God fully, completely. Firstborn. Firstborn of all creation. Firstborn, preeminent, uh, supreme. And he writes over all creation, meaning that Jesus is supreme, supreme over all time, space, and matter. Over all created things. That which is created is less than the creator. Even, even mankind, as, as amazing and awesome, as powerful as our creations have been, they pale in comparison to the authority and power of the Creator, which is beyond us. We, we can blow each other up. And yet, what was it that discovered and put together such power? It was a mind that the Creator gave us. Think about that. Beyond. He is preeminent. He is supreme. He is the firstborn. Firstborn is not what we would think of as our, our firstborn child. That, that's regarding chronological order of things historically set in place. Firstborn in this sense is stating He who is preeminent or supreme. There is none that compares to him. Um, something that is, is inadequate, but perhaps will help you understand. I have many books. I have read many books. But this one book is preeminent over them all. I did not read this book first. It did not show up in my life first. And yet, for me... This is preeminent in my life. This very book I hold above all others. It is preeminent. It is a firstborn. According to the terminology that is used here. Firstborn is understood as a messianic title. In Psalm 89, 27, it says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And so the rabbis of the day uh, they had no trouble. They understood this. They, they had, had understood this um, as they taught the Torah, the book of the law, the, the five books of Moses. They knew this very well. This was a messianic title. Image or icon. The reflection in the full revelation of God in Jesus. Firstborn, Jesus is supreme over all, man, all creation. And so therefore, those two come together in what Paul was describing to the Colossians as being Jesus. He is fully 
man and fully God. He is the creator and he is the very image of God. And he is God. In verses 16 and 17, he continues on, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, in just these few verses, a, a, a lot is said. A lot is said. And I want to give it to you in such a package it, uh, for you in such a way that, that it's clearly understood. And just breaking it down. By him, all things were created. In other words, he is the author of creation. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus. Not only did Paul understand that Jesus was God and creator, but so did John and the other apostles and the disciples. He was creator of heaven and earth. The completeness of creation in Jesus is declared here. All creation is created by him, through him, and for him. Sometimes we ask the, the question, well, what's my purpose in life? I think the world asks this question, and then we start reflecting. Uh, we have personal reflection, and we start thinking it's all about us. You know, it's centered on me, myself, and I, right? That's a deception of the enemy, and that's why many times we get uh, depressed and overwhelmed because we can't fully satisfy ourselves no matter how much we do, no matter how much we accomplish, no matter how many people we surround ourselves or how many people we isolate ourselves from. We just can't do it. It's for Him. Our purpose is to bring Him glory, to worship Him, to live for Him, and to know a relationship with Him, to enjoy a relationship with Him. That's... That's, that's our purpose. He gave us the plan of salvation from the, the very beginning of time. In fact, before the foundations of the world, he had this plan already set up. And from cover to cover, that's what this book is all about. Everything is by him, through him, and for him. The best thing we could do is to understand what this looks like for us in our everyday lives. Jesus is even supreme over those things we cannot see. Whether they are invisible matter or spiritual thrones, dominions, rulers, principalities, authorities, no one and no thing is greater than he is and always will be. Jesus is supreme over all creation and all things are held together and sustained in him. Um, the whole analogy of the watchmaker is false. Um, it, it, it doesn't fully explain how it is that in him all things are sustained. If he were to re, uh, remove himself from creation for even a split second, everything would fall apart. 
And it's very clear by this verse here that he holds everything together because that's what it says. He holds everything together. So if he says he holds everything together, then guess what? He's holding everything together. He's sustaining all creation. Creation and its present existence are dependent on Jesus Christ alone. So the universe, creation, is Christ-centered. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree or not, whether we deny it or not, it, it really doesn't matter. He holds all things together, and it's by him, through him, and for him. Verse 18 says, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So verse 18 tells us that he is the head of the body, the church. This is what Paul's referring to, the church itself. This speaks of his relationship with his church. Sometimes, and I know even, even today, I, I get an email, I get a text or in conversation, and, and uh, you know, I, I'm told, you know, you should really keep going in your church, and, you, you know, you've done everything, and you've, you've built this church, and um, I'm sure you've worked hard in your church, and, you know, to be honest with you, I just want to say, it's not my church. <laughs> Quit saying that. It's... It's not my church. I have not built it. I have simply served the Lord in His church. Whatever He desires to do, uh, I hope I am directed and led by Him in, in that work. This is His church. It's not mine. My, my burden, although it's not my church, my burden is you. Why? Because you are who He has entrusted me with. And so therefore, I am his under-shepherd, and I simply teach the word of God, counsel you according um, to his word, and encourage you in the things of God. That you would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that, that you would learn that relationship with him in such a way that it brings him glory and it blesses you. But it's his church. He is the head of his church. He is the source of the church, and he is its foundation upon which he builds it, and we are his building, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. And he holds it together, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, according to Matthew 16, 18. So we know that. Hey, listen, I know that personally, the people that make up the body of Christ... You know, there, there are things going on in the church today. There's no local fellowship that is perfect, okay? If you find one and you go to it, you've just messed it up because you've brought imperfection. There's no perfect church, all right? But here's the thing is sometimes we, we, we say, well, the church is in trouble. Now, listen, the church has been in trouble from the very beginning, Okay? Uh, these things have been going on from the very inception of the church. From the very time the church was born, these things were addressed or else we wouldn't have much of what is contained in these letters. 
It's been addressed, sexual immorality, anger, rivalries, jealousies, con- contention, divisions, uh, uh, cliques, all of that thing, all of those things were addressed from the very beginning. The church is not in trouble because according to Matthew 16, 16 18, the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. And so God is faithful. For us, what that tells us is that for us, we ought to remain faithful to the Lord. And we are the ones that choose whether we're in right standing before the Lord or not, according to how we think, what we give, our, what we give ourselves to, what we devote ourselves to, what we commit ourselves to, and who we're following, whether it's the world, Satan, the flesh, or the Lord. It's up to us. And it's people that make up the church, not a building, not a name, at least not a name that we give it. It is a group of people. For us, this is a local fellowship. We come together and we worship God corporately. We grow as a family. We hopefully stay together as a family. We begin to learn what it means to do life together as a family, both now and for eternity. But that's what we are. We're part of the greater and larger body of Christ, which is the church universally. But this is our local fellowship. And he is the source of this local fellowship. He is the firstborn from the dead. Not only did he give his life on the cross, but he also resurrected from the grave three days later. Paul is concluding all of this by saying that in everything he might be be preeminent. So everything that he had set up to that point, it, it really comes to the conclusion of this. That in everything, in all things, in everything, he might be preeminent. We already talked about preeminence, the supremacy. um, That he is over all. That there is none that rivals him. Nothing and no one compares to him. And then in verse 19, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That is everything of God and God himself. His plan, purpose, and person is found in and fulfilled in Christ. Everything that had been clearly and succinctly declared by the Apostle Paul. And this is why it's important to look to Jesus for all things. Our contentment is in him alone. Our glory is in Him alone. Our joy is in Him. Jesus is our life. Jesus is our prize. He is our goal. He is our present and our future. Our answer today and our hope for all eternity. That's why we need to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. And no one else. No one else. And then in verse 20 he says, And and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus' shed blood satisfied the wrath of God in judgment toward our sin. Jesus' sacrifice suffices for all sin, to reconcile all mankind. And yet, I understand this is not universal salvation. That is not what the Apostle Paul is referring to. Because even though his his shed blood was sufficient for all the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future, 
Not all accept this peace known by the shedding of his blood on the cross. Some reject it and therefore remain condemned in their own sin, and they will know the wrath of God's justice. See, his shed blood satisfied the wrath of God's justice. And some people still reject it. That's why we can lie to the Holy Spirit, we can quench the Holy Spirit, we can deny the Holy Spirit. There's an exercise of our free will that the Lord has also given us. And I pray, as we come to know who Jesus is and what he offers, his grace, salvation, that, that his kindness is what draws us to him, that we would respond to that love in such a way that we surrender our lives to him. And we desire with all sincerity to follow him. I know years ago that that was the case for me. That I was in a set of rules. It, 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 was, it was simply the understanding that I was already separated from the Father by my sins. And when he offered me that gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and I understood it, I received it gladly and joyfully. And I remember with, with tears streaming down my face, I understood what true love meant and what it looked like. And I've known it ever since. It's something beyond what you could ever express for the rest of your life if you gave yourself every day in suffering. You, you could never come close to repaying what he's given to you. And so I gladly continue to live my life for him. And it's only by his grace. Jesus bore our judgment on the cross on our behalf, in our place. And the question for us is, have you or will you receive that by faith and know God's grace personally? So number one, Jesus is fully God. Secondly, Jesus fully restored you. Verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Once again, reconciliation and redemption is pointed out as being known in Christ alone. Paul is telling them that they once belonged to someone else. And this is what we are reading here. They once belonged to someone else, but have now come under new ownership. They have a new master. They've been transferred over in their ownership to God himself. Through Jesus Christ. At one point, they were hostile in their thoughts and actions toward God. But now they had been reconciled to the Father in Christ, and in Christ are holy and blameless and above reproach before God. Th that again is a gift from God. It, it's nothing that you can earn or, or, or do to kind of go in that direction. You, you can't do any of that. It is known by grace and in Christ. We are holy and blameless and above reproach before God, the Father, because we are in the Son. He covers us. 
How beautiful. What what a story of redemption this is. Reconciliation that had nothing to do with us. All we have to do is cry out to him and say, I believe. I accept. Please forgive me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. That's all we have to do? Yes, that's it. And we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High. And we are kept in Christ until that day. There was this change of ownership that the Apostle Paul was addressing. Status. The evil thoughts and actions is a product of this change in ownership. Christians now, well, they reflect a new ownership. From those those evil thoughts now are discernible. Um, The manner in which we used to live, it's discernible. It's amazing how it is. I knew before that I was doing wrong. But I didn't really care much about it. You know, I could rationalize it, justify it. I had no standard by which I lived my life other than my own and perhaps that of the world. As I came to surrender my life to Jesus Christ, oh, there was a new standard and I I understood it. And I willfully and joyfully gave myself to that standard. Why? Because now I understood this is truth. This is absolute truth. It's not relative. It's not something that moves depending on the culture in which we live in, the location of the world geographically, or the time in which... It has nothing to do with any of that. The truth is absolute. And so now I knew the standard. And I started to learn to live in such a way that it would glorify the Lord. That reflects, by the way, a change in ownership. A transfer in ownership. We no longer belong to Satan. We belong to Jesus. Oh, pastor, do you mean that literally? Yes, I mean that literally. Because in your sins, you belong to Satan. You will, the Bible is very clear. You will be cast into hell if you, if you remain in your sin and you reject God's free gift of salvation by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ. You remain there. You reject it. So yes. If our thoughts and behaviors haven't changed. Then we ought to ask ourselves a tough question. Are we under the new ownership of Jesus Christ? Or still under the old ownership of Satan? You see, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And Paul uses the phrase in what he wrote in Colossians, body of flesh, to emphasize that this work of reconciliation occurred to a real man on a real cross. And our reconciliation is known to be real by a real sacrifice on our behalf. So do you know the fullness of Jesus' restoration? If so, rejoice and be glad. If not, I pray you come to believe today in the, in the life, in the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on your behalf. His sacrifice was performed on your behalf for your sins in order that you may be reconciled and know a right relationship with God. Salvation isn't just an escape from hell. And sometimes I hear that it's like, it's like fire insurance, you know. Oh, I prayed the prayer once. Oh, 
It's like we just read about Samson, didn't we? On, we learned about him on, on Wednesday. Did you know that Delilah probably didn't even know that he had taken the vow of a Nazarene until he actually said, I'm a Nazarene? That, that could be of us. When you're out in the world with your coworkers, uh, your neighborhood, in, in wherever you're at, will they be shocked when you say, well, I'm a Christian? It's like, for some, that, that is the, there's no separation, there's no distinction. You're, you're, you're the same. There's, there's nothing that makes you unique. Because you can't just pray a little prayer and then have absolutely nothing show for it in your life. Because we know that a new heart, you're given a new heart, new desires, new thoughts. You understand a new standard in your life. And you have this desire to bless and glorify the Lord. That's what you have. And, and if there's nothing of that in your life, then you have to ask that question. Am I really the Lord's? And I'm not afraid to tell you that you need to ask it. You need to question that. There are too many people in churches today that are living like the world and coming in and declaring that they're Christians. It's like, don't be fooled. Please don't be fooled. I would rather tell you the truth here and tell you, hey, you know what? Examine, allow the Lord to examine your heart and really see if you belong to him. I'd, I'd rather give you those words and ask you to do that. And for you to go away mad than for me not to tell you that and to tell you peace, peace, to tell you that all is well and you're okay when you're not. And I would only encourage you in your walk straight into hell. I, I don't want that. I don't want that over me. I want to make sure that each and every one of you are genuinely believers. That you are walking with the Lord. And, and you know because of your new desires. Lastly, so Jesus is fully God. Jesus fully restored you. And lastly, remain stable and steadfast in Jesus. So here's our response. This is what the Apostle Paul was giving to the Colossians. Verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. With all of this said, Paul emphasizes and encourages the saints in Colossae to persevere in what? Is it in works of righteousness? No. In faith that they have come to know that they would remain stable and steadfast in the hope of the gospel they had come to know. That's it right there. Stable faith. That is secure in their faith, sound of sound mind, uh, undisturbed in their faith, unchanged, firm, solid, secure. That, that they would remain and be that in Christ. That they would have a stable and steadfast faith, resolute, unwavering, loyal, committed, devoted, dedicated, dependable. In other words, consistent. Not up and down. Not on one day and off the next or for a few or whatever, but dependable, just consistent, secure, unwavering. Notice that the Apostle Paul does not emphasize any works here. Again, and I bring that to your attention, but rather faith. 
Our faith, therefore, is what is critical to remain in, and our works will follow as evidence of that faith that remains and even grows. As we are more consistent in our faith, our works is this fruit that comes about. This is what's produced. In fact, James said that faith without works is dead, according to James 2.17. And works without faith is futile. It's empty. It doesn't improve any part of us before a holy and righteous God. So they go, both, they, they go hand in hand, each one. Works and faith. We remain steadfast in our faith, and we will desire to do more for the Lord, to fellowship, to bless and glorify Him. The only work that will make us right before God is Jesus' finished work on the cross, His sacrifice on your behalf. But rest assured that our continuance in the faith is evidence of a real faith. Anything else, again, can be suspect. Paul's given himself to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what he declared here. He says, I've given myself to this ministry. The declaration, the proclamation of Jesus, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've given myself fully. And we know that to be true. They've heard it. And we've heard it. And more people need to hear it. The apostle Paul was telling them, Jesus held nothing back. So don't you hold anything back. Don't hold anything back. Too many people are reserved in their worship of God, in the expression of their faith. Oh, timid. Oh, the Lord is very clear. He has not given us a spirit of fear, right? But of power, love, and of a sound mind. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is, this is the love that draws us to him. But we were still his enemies. Christ died for us on the cross. In 1 John 4.19 it says, We love because he first loved us. And so we begin to learn how to love each other because we consider and we begin to learn and understand how it is that God loves us even right now with his compassion, with his patience, with his grace, with his mercy. And so it is with this that the Apostle Paul was communicating to the Colossians. So it is that the Lord is communicating to us this morning. That Jesus is fully God. That Jesus fully restored you. He's telling the Colossians, remember this. And thirdly, as a response to this, remain stable and steadfast in Jesus. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul clearly identifies Jesus as fully God and fully man. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he is the creator of the universe. Amazing that such would even consider you and I. And yet he does. Not only did he consider us, but our God went to the cross for us. Our God bled on Calvary. And he did this all with you and I in, 
his mind and his thoughts, knowing that through the shedding of his blood, there would be remission of sins, that there would be a door, in fact, the veil torn from top to bottom, giving us free access to the Father. We enter into the Holy of Holies and meet with the Father ourselves. He is the one who interceded on behalf of us, and he is the one who did the work completely. When he said to Telestai, it is finished, it was paid in full on our behalf. We don't have to do anything except for believe and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and respond to that by living our lives as living sacrifices to his glory. May your hope of the gospel never shift, and may you declare with all assurance that Jesus saves and he is your Savior, reflected both in declaration and in your manner of life. Jesus held nothing back. I certainly pray that you don't either. Father, we are amazed by your love. It is beyond our comprehension that your son would be sent to die on our behalf. He came and was born of a virgin was crucified on Calvary, was buried and three days later rose from the grave. Oh, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Not only in him has sin been conquered, but also the grave. For we know resurrection from the old self, from the the dead person in, in sin to the new one who is forgiven by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the resurrection. Thank you for the life that we have come to know in Jesus Christ. And I pray for anyone here who perhaps has been living a life of compromise that has not fully devoted themselves to to live their lives to your glory, that they would recommit their lives to you at this very moment. Lord, we don't know when when you will return, but it can be at any moment. May we be prepared for that moment. May we not waste one more second uh, living in our sin or living according to the flesh, but may we be fully given to you as you have fully given yourself to us. May we demonstrate our love for you. And I pray for any here who who do not know salvation, that today be the day of salvation to that this would be a day in which they cry out to you and ask for your forgiveness and that you would be Lord and Savior. Lord, it's a simple declaration and yet it's one that needs to be genuine. So Father, I pray that today would be a wonderful day in which the heavens rejoice over not only one soul that is saved, but perhaps others who have made a recommitment to you and others who are strengthened. Lord, knowing that glory goes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.